the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back as we head into Hour 2 this Tuesday, May 24th, 2022, acknowledging the uh, awful, uh, awful events that have taken place in Texas. We spent the last hour uh, talking about those, and perhaps we'll return to them maybe in the third hour as we learn more. If you missed any of it, you can get it at 960thepatriot.com. It is now my uh, privilege and honor to bring back to the show William Vogley. Bill Vogley is a senior editor at the Claremont Review of Books, author of several books himself, Never Enough, America's Limitless Welfare State, and The Pity Party, A Mean-Spirited Diatribe <laughs> Against Liberal Compassion, has an essay in the new, new, new issue of the Claremont Review of Books titled The Right Now, What Trump Hath Wrought and revealed using as its springboard a review of a book called The Conservative Sensibility by George Will. We've spent a lot of time talking about these kinds of things on air, especially recently. Bill Vogley, welcome back to the show. Nice to talk to you, Seth. Thank you, sir. Uh, I want to commend your piece to everyone uh, that um, that is interested in conservatism, preserving conservatism, preserving America, and understanding the intellectual origins, and, yeah, even infighting about it. Um, Let me start, if I might, with the end of your uh, essay, if you don't mind, uh, because I've been quoting it a lot lately since it published, what, about a week ago. The central conservative impulse is that because valuable things are easy to break but hard to replace, every effort should be made to conserve them while they can be conserved. Are we talking about a movement, a party, or the movement, excuse me, a movement or a country, or the movement that saves the country? Uh, How were you thinking when you wrote those words, William, Bill? Well, I was thinking that, um, as I say a little earlier in the piece, that um, there are uh, two kinds of mistakes you can make. You can um, uh, keep attempting to save something that is already beyond saving. Um, the other kind of mistake is that you can uh, give up on something that is still uh, worth saving and uh, able to be saved. Um, I'm told that there's uh, um, a bit of folk wisdom in India that has it that the, uh, the most uh, time-consuming, uh, maddening, uh, and uh, unproductive uh, thing that a person can do is to try to keep a corpse from smelling bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that uh, there are some people who uh, look at the situation of America in 2022 um, and say that um, this, the idea of conserving um, is, is no longer applicable to the situation we face, that uh, we need to restore or rebuild um, that the effort to keep a continuous line going from 7076 on through into the 21st century is no longer tenable because things have um, deteriorated to uh, such an extent. 
Uh, and my, uh, my general take on that is that um, when there are these, these two alternative ways uh, that, depending on the correct assessment of a difficult and complex situation, um, could be wrong, the thing to do is to make the lesser mistake, which is uh, to choose the path of trying to conserve something, even if its situation seems precarious, even if it's not abundantly clear that the cause is uh, uh, not lost. Yeah, this the, the, it's it's kind of a almost haunting, haunting proposition uh, to consider that the conservative movement or conservatives generally trying to conserve something that's not worth conserving. Um, there, there, there's a strong element of that, but it's an element in the right. It's a almost complete definition of the left. I don't know if you would agree with that or not. Um, I would agree with it in this sense that um, uh, the the progressive project, as the name implies, takes its uh, orientation not from the uh, a heritage or the past or anything even established, but uh, from the from the brighter future that is to come and that is to be built. Um, and so, uh, if if our goal is to progress, then those who oppose progressing uh, want us to be stagnant or even to regress. Um, and they think that there were certain things that were better about the past, better, say, about the principles set forth in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, um, than anything we've come up with since. Uh, so I think that there is a kind of... Um, uh, built in disdain for um, uh, the uh, the American project, the American heritage. It's certainly made explicit in things like the New York Times 1619 project, um, which holds that um, slavery and racial prejudice was not a uh, problem for America or a, uh, but, but was in fact really the defining uh, feature of America. When, when we get into these kinds of conversations, Bill, about conservatism, its history, its purpose, its cause, um, it's it's inevitable that we also have to talk about its leadership, both intellectual and political. Fair enough. And Fair enough. and 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 something has definitely you put your finger right on it in your essay. Something has changed. I mean, we, you've, you've been around long enough, as I have, to have gone to enough conferences on conservatism where, where you know, the, the definition or the, or the main essence of it has always been in dispute and debate. It seems to me, at least from where I sit, never more so than today, however, never more so. The further we go along in life, it seems the weaker our understanding of what conservatism is. I wonder what you do with that or if you think the same. Um, well, uh, we've, you and I have lived long enough now that we've, um, seen the Cold War conclude and can think of that, um, 40 year, um, period as a, um, um, 
kind of a parenthesis within the flow of American and world history. And um, seen in that way, the the um, Cold War, uh, which was directly um, played a very big role in the creation of the conservative movement in the 1950s. Um, uh, it was a um, something of an outlier um, in, in the global flow of things. We had this, this situation where um, conservatives could um, synthesize their domestic viewpoint, going back to the uh, New Deal and their opposition to it, and the arguments that um, were put forward uh, by um, people like uh, Friedrich Hayek with the road to serfdom at the end of World War II, with a global um, uh, cause to uh, to be resilient against and to resist um, uh, worldwide communism. In both cases, there was this idea that what we're opposed to is excessive, limitless, uh, principleless government, uh, and we need to reorient both our domestic policy and the uh, our place in the world towards the idea of self-determination and government that governs by the consent of the governed. So this um, this gave uh, the the various uh, factions of the conservative movement, the traditionalists and the libertarians and the thisers and the thats, could uh, there, there was nobody who was. Um, nonchalant about uh, the Soviet Union within the conservative. Uh, Everyone movement. agreed on that part of it, right? Everyone so, agreed yeah. on that. Right. So uh, you could, you could sort of on page two and page three stuff, you could have differing ideas. But at that one point, everybody was on the same page. Um, 1989 and 1991 come and go, and and suddenly um, that unifying uh, force within the the Politics and the thinking of conservatives is removed, and the the effort then to say, well, what is it exactly that we're up to? What what are we trying to conserve? From whom are we trying to conserve it? How do we go about conserving it? These are all uh, questions that need to be um, uh, addressed as as though they are. Um, Brand new ones. In a, in a let new let me pause you on that. Yeah, let me pause you on that because I think you're right to talk about 89 and 91 ish being kind of inflection and changing points for us. Do you have a little mm-hmm. time to stay with us for a bit? Yeah, I do. William Vogley is our guest from the Claremont Institute, where he's a senior fellow and a senior editor at the Claremont Review of Books. We're discussing his most recent essay, The Right Now, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. William Vogley is our guest. He of the Claremont Institute, where he is a senior fellow and a senior editor of the Claremont Review of Books, author of his own important books like Never Enough and Pity Party. Uh, Bill Vogley, we're talking about his essay, The Right Now, which is in the the new issue of the Claremont Review of Books just landed. It's it's an essay around George Will's book called The Conservative Sensibility. Uh, listeners to the show will know we've talked a lot, recent, uh, a lot recently about Matthew Continetti's book, A History of Conservatism. Uh, Bill, this is in the air. We have these two books with us now. 
Um, after it's been a, it's been a while since we've gotten long, wide ranging distillations on what conservatism is or what conservatism means. There, there are not a lot of books on it, interestingly enough. Bill Buckley never really wrote a book on it. Tried a few times, as I understand it. Never really got there. Um, we have the Nash book. Uh, but let me, let, me, let, me, let me ask you um, where you start, and I'll, I'll get us to 89 and 91 as we were talking about right before the break. But where do you start? Where do you uh, put the modern conservative movement's beginnings uh, where, where where would you start those? Would you start it with yeah. you mentioned Hayek around that era? Would you start it a little before, a little after? I think the uh, most plausible uh, candidate for day one is in ni- November of nineteen fifty five when yeah. the first issue of National Review was yeah. published. Yeah, um, I, I think there have been conservative writings and. Discussions uh, ongoing uh, before then, but this was this was the first time that there was a a, a movement in American politics and American political thought that uh, uh, identified itself as took the name of conservative. Our, our mutual friend uh, Charles Kessler, the editor of uh, the Claremont Review of Books, in other words, my boss. Um, uh, often, often points out that um, um, the really the first person to uh, make a big deal about introducing the term conservative into American politics was Franklin Roosevelt, and he used it to describe the opponents of the New Deal. Right. And those opponents were not happy to be called conservatives. They they thought of themselves as the true liberals, right. in that they were. Uh, devoted to the principles of the Constitution and to America's uh, uh, founding ideals. Um, so uh, there was um, uh, th- that term, embracing that term was, was not uh, a sort of an obvious step. Um, uh, so I think, I think uh, Buckley and, and, and I, you know, Bill Buckley is only, I think, 29 years old when the first issue comes out. There, there was there was a lot of talk at the time with that burgeoning movement, fits and starts here and there of people who might have been considered conservative. There was this burgeoning uh, movement, but there was there was also this kind of intellectual, um, uh, shall we say, snobbery about conservatism in America. Someone like Clinton Rossiter, it might have been, if I'm right, uh, was saying they were saying there was no real intellectual defense, no really any intellectual animation for conservative movement or policy that it seems to me Bill Buckley and National Review tried and I think successfully uh, did combat and correct um, by by bringing to the fore an, an intellectual uh, defense of it. And as you were pointing out, and this kind of gets us to the 1989 and 91, it, it, it had a lot of disparate elements. We can think of them as, I mean, today we have disparate elements and we'll get to those, but whether they were traditionalists or whether they were natural law types or whether, you know, they were, uh, uh, you know, biblically based conservatives or whether they were foreign policy hawks, just merely anti-communist, they at least all agreed that communism was a threat. Mm-hmm. And 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 so you're right to bring up 89 and 91, the fall of the Berlin Wall, the fall of the Soviet Union, uh, leaves us without the common threat unless unless 
one were to look at the ideology um, behind the communist threat, recognize that it, though the Berlin Wall was gone and that Gorbachev was out, that that ideology never perished and was gaining strength elsewhere, uh, growing in China. But what about here, too, at home? You know, almost almost as if McCarthy was ahead of his time, in a sense, I, I, I want to put it. And I don't know if you agree with that. Well, uh, I don't know if I agree with that either. Okay. But let me, uh, before, we, uh, before we move on to um, the question you raised, let me just double back a second sure. to uh, the point you made about the um, the uh, sort of um, uh, disdain in which conservatism was uh, held. There's yeah. a famous um, – uh, I'm sitting in front of my computer. I was able to pull it up here. Uh, the, the noted literary critic, Lionel Trilling. Yeah. Wrote, wrote an essay that uh, was the um, uh, uh, became the, the title of a, a book he wrote, The Liberal Imagination. Right. And um, the uh, often quoted phrase from that reads, in the United States at this time, liberalism is not only the dominant, but even the sole intellectual tradition. For it is the plain fact that nowadays there are no conservative or reactionary ideas in general circulation. This does not mean, of course, that there is no impulse to conservatism or to reaction. Such impulses are certainly very strong, perhaps even stronger than most of us know. But the conservative impulse and the reactionary impulse do not, with some isolated and some enthusiastical exceptions, express themselves in ideas but only in action or in irritable mental gestures which seek to resemble ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That is about as dismissive as, uh, as a paragraph could be, I think. Right. right? Right. Right. Um, and, and that's and, what and that's what fact, Bill Buckley fact, tried people, to prove wrong. Um, it, well, um, tried to um, make wrong, I would say, might be better. I mean, I, I think that um, I think that the the uh, creation of National Review and with the creation of a conservative movement, um, what was in fact. Um, an acknowledgement that there, there may have been um, more to Trilling's claim than, than uh, that people were would like to admit, that in fact um, conservatives had not explained themselves very completely and clearly, had not thought through certain things. Um, so that uh, what, what was needed was a, um, a voice that, that actually uh, in, engaged this challenge and uh, try to make this critique, um, however true it may have been uh, when voiced in 1950, untrue um, as time went by. Now, <laughs> now the communist ideology at home and abroad. Can we address that when we come back? But we got to yeah. take a quick commercial break, which the communists hate. So we'll do what they hate. <laughs> we'll be right back. I'm Seth Leapson. He's Bill Vogley, William Vogley, senior fellow at the Claremont Institute, senior editor at the Claremont Review of Books. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. William Vogley is our guest. He's a senior fellow at the Claremont Institute and a senior editor of the Claremont Review of Books. Just out, we're talking about his current essay, The Right. Now, Bill, uh, the conservative movement was most cohesive 
when it had at least uh, one common enemy all the elements in the movement could agree on, and that was uh, the defeat of communism. Uh, that having been so remarkably dismantled by the end of the 80s and early 90s, abroad at least, um, we didn't defeat it as an ideology is my proposition, uh, not mine alone. And a lot of it um, metastasized here, found comfortable quarters here. There were no socialists in Congress, at least none that wanted to admit and affiliate with the name when that took place. Within about four years, we got one, and now we have about ten. Uh, that's to say nothing of the university and elementary school system. I wonder if I'm overstating the case by your lights, and if that is something, at least as an ideology, we might rally round again, once again. Well, it's um, uh, it's a diagnosis of uh, what's going on, uh, what has been going on since the Cold War. That that's uh, certainly plausible. I, I think that um, um, you know my own uh, feeling, and I developed this to some extent in the article we're talking about. But mm-hmm. the, um, CRPPs is that um, that the the project of founding and then sustaining and perpetuating and protecting a a liberal democracy a, uh, is um, is inherently difficult. Right. Um, that um, that uh, endeavor will have um, enemies and. Uh, opponents. Um, communism was one. Progressivism in a, is one. Um, and I think that these must be assessed and, and uh, resisted. Um, but in some ways, I think the, um, the even trickier problem, the, the, the greater dilemma, is that um, liberal democracies, in addition to having uh, um, opponents, enemies, they also have Proclivity, a sort of self-destructive tendency, um, and this is where the business of conservatism becomes um, tricky and exasperating, and um, um, sort of the, the, the temptation to uh, give into a feeling of futility uh, comes in. I, I think the experience of living life in uh, the context of a, a liberal democracy tends to produce in people a, a kind of um, uh, inclination towards uh, egalitarianism and to, to rendering all sorts of things that are, in fact, different, equivalent. Uh, and so it becomes harder and harder as, as the, your, your time within um, um, a liberal democratic society goes on um, uh, to... Um, to make the distinctions that uh, need to be made. For example, uh, I mean, this is, this is an argument that uh, for uh, uh, your, your listeners who uh, remember their, their collegiate days well and uh, have uh, heard from the Democracy in America by Alexis de Tocqueville, um, that, that the spirit of democracy is the spirit of equality. And it, the spirit of equality means sort of erasing or compressing distinctions. And um, as that, that it, there's a kind of restlessness and, and endlessness to that project. Every 
every new success in the field of equality means something else that you hadn't noticed before also needs to be addressed, you know. So uh, we have the, uh, the uh, 2015 Supreme Court decision on um, uh, asserting that the Constitution um, guarantee of equal protection of the law means that you cannot confine uh, marriage to one man and one woman. It's been customary for many years. And within a few years, we have presidential candidate Joe Biden saying that transgender equality is now the civil rights issue of our time. Hold, hold that well, thought. Yeah, things move awfully fast, right? Things move have moved awfully fast, um, yeah. which which can often lead to, and maybe in part did lead to uh, lead, lead to um, lead to the Trump candidacy. But yes, uh, let's pick up on that. And where that leaves us with the wars over our children in our schools when we come back, we will be right back with William Vogley from the Claremont Institute, senior fellow there, as well as a senior editor at the Claremont Review of Books. We're discussing broadly his essay, The Right Now, which is in the brand new issue of Claremont Review of Books. uh, Claremont uh, Review of Books dot com is where you can access it. I'm Seth. He's Bill. We'll be right back. If you're looking for a really great investment opportunity, check out my friends at Y-Refi. What they are offering is fantastic. It's a fixed, no-load interest rate up to 10.25% for investors in a collateralized and secure portfolio. Y-Refi helps people who are doing their best to dig out a debt the right way by paying off the debts, doing the right thing, and doing so with dignity, even getting their FICO scores fixed Along the way, Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm run by really good people who are doing very well by helping others, and you can be too. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R E F Y.com, or give them a call at 855 316 3087. William Vogley, Bill Vogley is our guest, senior fellow at the Claremont Institute, author of several books himself. Uh, including Never Enough, America's Limitless Welfare State, and The Pity Party, a mean-spirited diatribe against liberal compassion. Bill, uh, let me let me work at it this way, since since you brought up the Oberfeld decision uh, from the Supreme mm-hmm. Court uh, on, um, on on granting the constitutional right to gay marriage. Um, it was uh, about 25 or so years ago, uh, the editors at First Things, with a lot of contributors— we're engaging in symposia calling, uh, stating that we were at the end of democracy because of the Supreme Court's rulings against, uh, oh, I don't know, conservative sensibilities, common sense, conservative culture, or Americans' mere desires to engage in um, constitutional republicanism. It seems that that resistance has weakened over time. It also seems that maybe we're getting some better court opinions, especially just this year, uh, seems, because <laughs> we don't know for sure. But you look at some yeah. of the things the federal courts are doing with mask mandates and Title 42, notwithstanding the Dobbs draft, maybe conservative jurisprudence is catching up and it, and it, and it took a while to do so. Not, not so sure. But it does seem the battleground for conservatism really is on the social issues more than anything else, and particularly in an area we haven't spent a lot of time on as a movement, 
which is elementary and secondary education. And I, I wonder what your thoughts are about all of that, because it seems to me if conservatism is revivified here, it'll be it'll be so as a result of governors like DeSantis who are willing to roll up their sleeves and go into the territories we used to not go into, that is to say education. Uh, one, uh, I agree. Two, I would add to that that, uh, of course, DeSantis is um, an elected official, a politician. He seems to be on track towards uh, what is what is predicted to be a fairly easy um, uh, re-election as governor of Florida in, uh, in November of this year. Um, but uh, you not only need um, a, a resolute and principled and shrewd politicians, but you need people to vote for them to keep them into office. Right. Uh, which means that these ideas must have uh, not only leaders but followers. There has to be a constituency. And I think that on the uh, talking about uh, the, the question of uh, elementary and secondary education, public education, um, that, that I think that what the, uh, the the sort of upset victory in Virginia and. 2021 by a gubernatorial candidate, now Governor Glenn Youngkin, showed uh, is that there um, there is uh, well beyond the um, usual confines of the conservative movement or constituency. There are a lot of swing voters who uh, are increasingly uh, uneasy with or even uh, uh, enraged about the um, uh, the substitution in our public schooling of indoctrination for education. Um, we, we have uh, we, we turn out high school graduates who uh, uh, have a very shaky grasp of, of uh, uh, things that used to be considered basic, uh, but nevertheless uh, have the entire LGBTQ XYZ uh, dogma down uh, path and. Um, Many parents are uh, who uh, many of them who are not registered Republicans, who are not uh, donors to conservative uh, organizations, nevertheless just want to be good parents and, and, and to, to raise their families, are um, uh, increasingly unhappy about um, uh, this this attitude of the public education establishment that you think these are your kids, mom and dad, but no, they're really they really are, and and. Uh, turning them into the sort of Americans who buy this entire package that we've uh, developed at schools of education around the country, that is uh, that is what we're up to. And if you oppose it, you're a bigot. Um, so I, I think that uh, it, it's, it's leadership, but it's also the, the, um, the, the raw material here of a constituency that can push back against us, just as um, there are many people who after uh, uh, the George Floyd uh, uh, death, I guess a, a year ago tomorrow, or two years ago, uh, um, agree that, that things must be done to, to make uh, policing more respectful and civil and, and uh, effective. Nevertheless, the, the defund the police ideology uh, turned out to uh, radicalize a lot of people in the direction it was not supposed to. It made a lot of people more conservative than uh, they started out being. I'm going to guess the same is going to happen with these gender identity wars with our children. And I'm going to guess, too, the talk of racism uh, is going is 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 going to turn a lot of people off as well. It's one thing for the elites to engage in this sort of thing. 
But, you know, like with a lot of, I don't know, conser- quiet conservative members of the American polity, the the culture may tell them they're racist. The culture may tell them they're 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 what old fashioned sexist, but they know they're not. The people know that they're not. They know that this is a fraud and a farce, don't they? Um, I think that the um, uh, the constant repetition of the same handful of accusations does not make them more. Uh, powerful, but makes them weaker over time. Yeah. Uh, if everything you do or say is um, um, somebody will find a way to tell you that it's because you're a racist or a homophobe, um, rather than um, responding by saying, oh my goodness, I must mend my ways and try harder to inoculate myself from this accusation, more and more people are saying, forget it. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm done playing this game. Yeah. Yeah, there's a revulsion to it. There's a revulsion to this constant need of a forced confession, isn't there? There's a mark of tyranny to it. Yes. Bill, is conservatism, last question for you, conservatism in America, um, as Buckley once said of liberalism uh, in his book on that topic in 1960, is it, uh, is, it, is, it, is it strong and growing or weak and dwindling, would you say, the conservative movement? Well, I'd say it's, um, it's always precarious because the, um, the, the preservation of a republic is always precarious. There's, um, it, it's always hard work. It's always uh, the, the myth of Sisyphus comes into play here. And um, for those who do not have an answer to the question, well, what would be better than a republic? There's really no choice but to keep pushing that boulder up the hill, however difficult it might be. Valuable things are easy to break but hard to replace. I'll quote you as I began. Bill Vogley, bless <laughs> you, sir, and thank you for everything you are. You're a dear friend and a great scholar. Great Appreciate you, it. Seth. Thank you, Bill Vogley. Thank you. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Balance of Nature. Their fruits and veggies are what I take every single day, 100% natural. Blend of 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables. Good stuff. Garlic, spinach, wheatgrass, kale, carrots, cayenne peppers, zucchini, broccoli, and a lot more. You take it once a day, and you get 10 servings of fruits and vegetables in one daily dose. 100% natural, third-party tested for all kinds of impurities. Boost your energy, boost your health, boost your immunity with Balance of Nature. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. We spent the first hour talking about what was taking place in Texas. The numbers have changed in the uh, wrong direction. We are now uh, reporting 18 uh, children have uh, been killed and at least one adult, possibly two. Those numbers will change as well, I'm sure. Let's hope that they go lower in the changing, since we don't know everything we need to know right now. But I have a feeling that that will be the new floor and the new ceiling. As we disdain those that are rushing to comment where they're talking about things they simply don't know about, we simply don't have the facts and evidence, I'd ask that we kind of abstain from that kind of blame game and at this point send our best thoughts, hearts, souls, prayers to the people of Texas. I will say that 
with each subsequent event like this, the one thing we cannot get used to is getting used to it. The one thing we cannot do is what I was talking about with Bill Vogley, uh, let an entire area of public policy around our children be ignored. Uh, An entire area. You think about what children go to once they start kindergarten and what happens between kindergarten and high school and how many thousands and thousands and thousands of images, sometimes graphic, sometimes less so, there are of murders and violence and that they've been exposed to. Exposed to in ways that are also age inappropriate. Perhaps we can have a discussion about what is age appropriate for children using the lens of violence if it hasn't worked in other areas. But these precious commodities can go wrong. And when they do, they can go very wrong and take out a lot more, a lot more from who we are as a people and what these families will see in their bedrooms and at their dinner tables tonight. Thoughts and prayers as we um, as we go to commercial break. I'll do my regular monologue when we come back, and until we know more, I'll leave the Texas story where it is. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 